0: This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Oh, we love being on location, and here we are down at Smoothie King, the Durban location, the newest location of the Smoothie Kings, nine of them in Jacksonville, too, in St. Augustine. Part of our ESPN 690 Dream 18 card that you can get on ESPN690.com is a free smoothie. So, you purchase a card, you come get a free smoothie. How about come down to Durban Crossing today and uh, you get a smoothie sample? So, you can do that as well. Uh, just all part of it. Good to be live at Smoothie King on uh, what was a uh, rainy last hour, but now the skies have cleared. Hopefully, we'll be okay. Um, and uh, here until 6 o'clock with you. As we've got a Gators Pro Day in the books, Kyle Pitts, he's the longest wingspan tight end since they've been measuring these kind of things. Does it do anything for you, Austin Lee? Yes. Uh, His reach. Yeah, uh,
1: no, no, I mean, I get it. you got a long wingspan. I mean, I'd rather have you have a long wingspan than, like, you know, 40 inches, so that's something to be said. But as far as, like, oh, he's got 84, no, I mean, if you're a UFC fighter, then yeah. I'm worried about it. You're, you're like John Jones. You're like Francis Ngannou. But um, from the football perspective, cool.
0: Well, that's good. Uh, what? Uh, here's what happens. It's like, it's kind of like getting a different smoothie every day. This is going to be a great analogy here. It, it's a different pro day every day. It's the different flavor of the week. It's Mac Jones, Justin Fields. It was Trevor Lawrence. It was Zach Wilson. But now we go on to the position players. You got Jamar Chase today. You got Kyle Pitts. You got Kadarius Tony. Uh, and, and when that happens, you get a lot of buzz on social media and everything else. So, I mean, do, do you get amped up about any of these guys, right? Uh, do you, Austin, do you get amped up still about Kyle Pitts? Or have you almost let that ship sail a little bit because it seems so far out of reach? Do you get amped up for Kadarius Tony or Jamar Chase, any of those guys uh, that you saw work out today?
1: No, I'll be honest. Like, spoiler alert, Jamar Chase is fast? No way. Spoiler alert, Kadarius Tony's fast? He could have fooled me spoiler alert, Kyle Pitts is probably going to be a beast? You don't say. Now, I'm surprised that Kyle Pitts and Tony ran pretty much the exact same 40-time. That's a little crazy. I'm not sure if that says something about Kyle Pitts or more about Kadarius Tony, but these like these high numbers and everything, like, th- they're fun to celebrate, whether it's the vertical, the broad, the 40-yard, or if you want to celebrate the bench press, they're fun to celebrate, but I've seen the film, all right, and I've seen these guys play. That's the most important thing. I know all three of those guys you just mentioned are are absolute studs i don't need 40 times to help reiterate that i already know
0: yeah i agree and and you know i guess we're kind of saying this a lot lately when it comes to these measurables and pro days and it gets almost a a little fatigued on it but Man, everybody runs a (laughs) 4-4. I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody's under a 4-4. I mean, we got linebackers and edge rushers running 4-3-6, man. I mean, when do we want to get that out of our – 4-4 is this magical number in our minds. I'm trying to think about, like – you know, it's almost like triple-double in the NBA. You know, a triple-double in the NBA used to be a big thing. Well, it's not anymore. It happens all the time. I mean – Russell Westbrook just had 35 points and 21 assists in a triple double.
1: I mean, D.J. McConnell had one. Like as soon as he had one, <laughs> yeah. it seemed like the whole prestige of a triple double went right out the window.
0: Yeah, so you know it's kind of in that realm. And, and by the way, I wish I ran a four four. And and I know four four is still fast, but it's almost like four four. If you don't run that, we're gonna hammer you. If you do no. run it, we don't even applaud you. You know, I mean, are, are we getting fatigued on four four and 40 times because there's so many good ones? Maybe like the twitter world is but listen if you're a scout
1: or you're a coach and you see a guy put up a 4-4 and you see it in person now whether or not it's you know electronically timed hand time like if you're there fast is fast and if a guy runs a 4-4 you better believe that he has your attention Your your undivided attention because a 4-4 is absolutely blazing. Like, make no mistakes about it. Um, I feel like there's receivers out there who make deal with a 4-5, you know, and are considered some of the fastest guys or some of the best receivers in the league. So I understand right now the pro days where it caters to the players. Everyone's putting up the 4-3, 4-3, 4-3. That's great. If a guy puts up a 4-4 from a skill position or from, you know, an outside position, whatever the position may be, that is still fast. That guy should still be, you know, take another extra look at him if you have to, but you can't take away that that guy is blazing.
0: Yeah, it's just we have so much in the bigger, faster, stronger category. I mean, we talk about this all the time, whether it's on air or even uh, in commercial breaks, just from the time you got to, again, you're not an old guy, I mean, You're mean 33 years old, played in the NFL, drafted when you're 2010, and out, what, around 2014 or so. I mean, that is not a long time ago. And yet we have seen the game change. I feel like we've seen players change. And we've seen the metrics, quite frankly, change. In the sport, in just a handful of years, I mean, it is changing in front of our eyes, whether we want to admit it or not. And I think that's kind of the moral of this story. It's like I'm not surprised to see Kyle Pitts run a four four four. Like I'm just not. Uh, I'm not surprised to see Jamar Chase in the four threes. Or yeah, I you just you're. It's not like wow anymore to me. You know, I, I nothing is that eye popping. Now you get the edge guy running a four three six. That that does kind of pop at you. That's still different because of the position but uh even even fields yesterday man running a 4-4-4-40 at the quarterback position i know it's like the fastest time since rg3 of a guy that could be picked in the first round uh, but it still doesn't wow me like it just doesn't surprise me anymore
1: yeah, I mean, I get it. When you hear four four over and over and over again, like you you get accustomed to that, right? Like when you hear some guy running a four two, like a, a a you know four two eight or four two nine, like that's like wow. I mean, let's you know give that guy his own island. Like I think it was Adidas or Nike was trying to do if somebody broke the forty time record uh, a couple of years ago back at the combine uh the, like to me like i understand what a 4-4 means right because you know i i playing in in locker rooms with with you know pretty fast guys but any guy that runs the 4-4 like it comes with some prestige a little bit like um you know like there the, there's murmuring of, like i can't run a 4-4 i can't run a 4-4 and if you if you have a guy that runs a 4-3 well then forget about it like everyone's gonna be asking that guy to race after practice one day just because they want to see it in person so I get what you're saying where 4-4 seems to be the benchmark now. It's the number that we always hear, and it's really the number, to me, that sets apart from a skill position whether you're fast or not. And that's not the way it should be because, once again, your game film is going to decide everything. But for whatever reason, we we, we made that benchmark now of 4-4 saying, well, he he ran a 4-5, that guy's slow at the skill position. It's just it's not accurate. It's not fair.
0: Yeah, uh, how about Gators, uh, in terms of this draft? Well, you know, you got Pitts and everybody'd be like, heck yeah, that'd be awesome. Unrealistic at this stage, okay? Barring anything crazy the Jags do, it's just unrealistic. Kadarius Tony is realistic. Uh, you know, Marco Wilson, those guys back in the, the backer, back end of the draft or the middle of the rounds of the draft. And we'll talk about Marco Wilson's story a little bit later on too. But, uh, would you be excited if Kadarius Tony like at 25, I'm not telling, saying you want it and that's where you're gonna go but do you think you'd be excited if the Jags landed Kadarius Toney at some time late in the first round?
1: <sighs> well, once again, it would all depend how the draft played out. There would be a part of me that would ask the question, well, how are you going to use this guy? Because you just took him in the first round. So when I hear of a first-round wide receiver, I think of guys like DK Metcalf, who's not even a first-round receiver in his own right, but I think of like game-changers like that. I think of like an A.J. Brown. How are you going to use this guy? Well, I see a room right now that has Marvin Jones Jr. I see a room right now that has LaVisca Chanel, and I see a room that has uh, DJ Chark. So if you're going to bring in a guy in the later rounds who's not named Jamar Chase or who's not from Alabama per se, it just it begs the question, well, how would you use him? How many reps would he get? How many catches? How many targets would he get per game? If you can't answer me and tell me at least you know six or seven targets a game, then is the juice really worth that squeeze when you have other issues to address like the safety position? So once again, it, it all depends to me how the draft plays out. I think the big one is if Taylor Morrig's gone, then okay, fine. Take a look at maybe a, a wide receiver late on the draft. That's fine in the first round. But I think you have to keep in mind you got other needs to fill first, unless you can bring in a guy that's gonna be that dynamic playmaker that can get the ball in his hands, you know, six to eight times per game.
0: Well I guess and I like what you do, at least you give us a like a, a little bit of a metric there, right? Can you get the ball in his hands six times? Because right now it's, it was hard to do that we even with LaVisca Chenault. Um, but I, I think with the difference between Tony that I would ask myself, and this is what I asked myself with Marvin Jones, who, by the way, I caught up with today. We'll share that interview uh, next couple of days a bit or, or even into next week, and he's a fun guy. Uh, but I asked the same question when Marvin Jones was signed. How do you change the offense? Like, does Marvin Jones change their offense? Would Kadarius Tony change their offense? LaVisca Chanel, I think, made their offense interesting. I don't know if he changed their offense, Austin. Uh, and I think the way you change an offense – is that game-breaking ability. Uh, I think Brandon Ayuk had a little bit of that in him in San Francisco. So at times, he was such a threat to make the big play that he helps change the offense. That's what I wonder. Can Tony do that? And so if you ask that question, I don't know if I even need to get wrapped up in the six or eight reps or whatever it might be, but the one or two times, if it's only that in a game, is it meaningful? Is it super impactful? Or is it just another six-yard gain? Because you can find a lot of guys to do that. So I kind of look at it that way, and I don't know if anybody you pick – late in the first round, or then even the second, third, or anybody else, is really going to jump at you before the draft and say, yeah, that guy can do that. If you were to go get Pitts, you could certainly say, that guy can do that. If you go get Jamar Chase, you're like, I can see that guy doing that. If you go get Damonte Smith or Waddle, ah, that guy can do that. But that's why they're picked in the top 10, top 12, top 15. I think these guys that go a little bit later on, I don't know if there's an automatic for that. But I think that's what I would ask myself, whoever the Jags end up with, in pick number 25 33 45 somewhere in that category i hope there's an offensive player in there can he help change their offense that's the question i want answered and i don't know if tony does that but if he does do that then that will be a valid pick in my opinion whether he touches it six times or three
1: yeah see i disagree with you because to me that's a luxury pick to me it would be like back in 2019 i think it was when the Chiefs selected Nicole hardman now, the, the Chiefs, you know, they already had a good roster put together. They add Miko Hardman, obviously top end speed, um, kind of a gadget guy. You can do a lot of things with him. Well, if we followed Miko Hardman's career so far, maybe he, you know, he touches the ball maybe two or three, maybe four times a game and sometimes is impactful. He was in the playoffs a little bit, but like, was it worth the 56 overall pick of that draft? I don't know. Just like would Kadarius Tony be worth the 25th pick overall of the draft if you still have guys like the Visca Chanel wanting the reps? If you still have guys like – and let's not forget either – Colin Johnson, who we're not sure how they're going to use him quite yet. I think that if you use a guy three or four times a game and maybe that's it, I don't think from the first couple years that's worth the 25th pick. I think that you have bigger needs right now on this team and you're coming off of a 1-15 season – You obviously have to address other things. They've done that some in free agency, but there's a lot more addressing to
0: be done. Well, there's something else about these Gators, okay, and that is a little bit of Gator fatigue by some. Uh, The Jaguars have had success in the past with Gators. Fred Taylor, Reggie Nelson come to mind. Uh, They have had recent not-so-great success with Gators, from uh, Dante Fowler Jr. to Taven Bryan to now we're still a little bit in a bit of a holding pattern with Juwan Taylor, although I really thought that was going to be a good one, and I still hope that it could be. Uh, and, and there are others. So there's a bit of fatigue around the Florida Gators being drafted. Uh, and ironically, man, uh, Chris Rodriguez jumps in, and when I asked about the fatigue, he said SEC fatigue, actually. I wrote back to him. I said, we once picked a guy from Colorado School of the Mines in Murray State. Mm. And Ashland University. Mm. (laughs) I can't can't imagine our franchise here in Jacksonville has SEC fatigue. No. Um, But but the Gator fatigue, well, I don't know how overwhelmingly real it is. It is something, right? It's like a narrative, and it's almost like, ugh, I don't know, guys. I don't know if I want to go there. I think Kyle Pitts is a bit of an exception, but again, it's an unrealistic uh, exception how much do you think that really exists is it a vocal minority is it the twitter uh, jags twitter uh, are we really tired i mean do are we really labeling oh no that guy came from florida if he got picked
1: uh, I, th- I think you have to because you go off the sample size and you go off history and if you go off, you know, Florida Gators that have played in Jacksonville, you know, like you have a guy like Reggie Nelson, who he had a great career, you know, but maybe underachieved a little bit in Jacksonville. You have a guy like, you know, they sacrificed so much to get with Derek Harvey, who really underachieved as well. And and the juice wasn't worth the squeeze of the amount of draft picks that were given up to get Derek Harvey. You have a guy like Dante Fowler, who once again had a, you know, some trials and tribulations here in Jacksonville, goes on to different places and it does all right, but didn't do that well in Jacksonville. And then you have a guy like Taven Bryan, just to name a few. Now, Juwan Taylor, once again, we're still on the fence right now. Hopefully he makes progress next year. But when, when I can name four or five guys that are essentially underachieved from the same university, how could you not question that university of those players coming to your team? I mean, it's that's human nature. So am I ready to say I'm not going to pick Kadarius Toney or Kyle Pitts because they're Florida Gators? Absolutely not. But I completely understand where Jaguars fans are coming from and saying, I'm going to be a little leery about these because the track record has shown we haven't had the most success with Florida Gators.
0: Well, here's what I would say to that, Austin. And whether that's understandable or not, I would probably throw, uh, <laughs> and I don't know the um, full results of all these guys, but like I feel like the New England Patriots went on a run of Florida Gators for a while, too. There was a bit of a pipeline, whether it was the urban relationship with Belichick, but it felt like that uh for a for a bit. Uh, you know, and I know we're gonna throw like the Aaron Hernandez in there. But Brandon Spikes uh was another guy. And and there were there were many um in New England and they had a bunch of success in terms of the team. Uh the players eh, you know, maybe not so much and maybe not drafted at such a high level as where the Jaguars picked their gators, if you will. But I guess my news flash for everybody is it's not going to change. And the reason I say that is Florida still puts out very good athletes uh, and probably going to put out better athletes than they even have in the last five, six, seven years because they've been a little bit void in some spots. I would also say they play in the SEC, and that's where a lot of the draft picks are coming from. And then you go to the connections. Yes, you will see Ohio State players. You will see Florida players. He's got – or he, meaning Urban Meyer, has strong ties to those universities. That means he knows the people. He trusts people in there. And so if you're going to pick from – San Diego State or one of those places where you trust somebody, I think you're going to lean on the, the trusting of somebody to give you a positive and complete report. Uh, so I I guess my my caution is if you feel strongly against picking Gators, buckle up, because I think it's going to continue to happen. I'm not saying it's happening this time right around like this year, but it's going to happen in the Urban Meyer regime, and, and it might happen plentiful.
1: No, and I get that. I mean, that's – That's fair. I'm just saying, I see where fans are coming from, though, where they're definitely skeptical, as they should be. I mean, think about it. If you date... Four girls from Jacksonville Beach who grew up in Jacksonville Beach and they're all psychos and and like they ended early. You're probably going to be a little leery then of dating any more girls from Jacksonville Beach. Simple as that. Not to say girls from Jacksonville Beach are psychos. I'm sure they're fantastic and great. I'm just using them as an example. So same thing with with NFL fandom. Where if you keep on drafting players and players from the same university and they keep on you know turning out to be duds or underachieving, you're going to be skeptical. That's just the way it works. Now. All it takes is one guy to come in here and blow the complete doors off and say, all right, see, the, the, this university can give us players as well. And maybe Kyle Pitts, maybe Kadarius Toney could be those two guys.
0: Yeah, uh, and that's fair. Um, that is fair. Bottom line is it doesn't matter where they come from, they've got to pick good players. And that's a big part of the fix in Jacksonville that we identified months ago is that you You got to hit. You've got to hit on these guys. And sometimes you got to hit big if you want to win big. Like this 25th pick. Let's just hope, right? Trevor Lawrence is the guy, and, and, and he's as good as everybody says. But the 25th pick is how you turn the organization around. It's those kind of picks. And, yeah, maybe you get one in the third round, like a Yanni kind of production. But that tw- that second first rounder the Caleb on chase on last year, if he does turn into something, to me, that's how you really turn it around at a faster rate in Jacksonville, because you're hitting on your first round guys and maybe you're hitting big on some of those late-round guys, which is value. If I look at organizations, I think like the Ravens, they've picked in the back end uh, of the draft often. Uh, It probably picks through, say, 24 to 32, and I feel like they've done good work there, and I'm not going to sit there and list a bunch of examples, but I don't know if it feels that way to you, Austin. I feel like they've done a lot of good work there. And the, Seattle, I think, has done a little bit of that over the years, too. When you, you're used to picking in that back end, you, you're not going to hit everybody, and they're not going to be perennial pro bowlers. There's a big difference between the top 12, top 15, and I think even the rest of that first round. But you do have to find a couple of players. and, and uh I think that's where the Jaguars have to be successful. Uh, you got to keep your fingers crossed that Chase on is something more than he was last year. And I think you got to keep your fingers crossed that number 25, that pick comes in, they send that card in, whoever they pick is a stud player for the Jags, because that's how you turn it around quicker.
1: No, absolutely. That's that's where the draft starts. We know what we're getting with Trevor Lawrence, hopefully, obviously, but it's, it's the easiest pick maybe in draft history. Okay, you're getting Trevor Lawrence. That 25 pick, though... Because there's just so many directions that you can go. And there's so many narratives and storylines that you can follow. In my opinion, and I don't usually say this a lot, but to me you pick the, I don't want to say the best player available, but the best player that's going to fit your need. I get it. If there's a wide receiver there that's dynamic and fast, you don't need him, but you kind of do need him because you want to give Trevor Lawrence another weapon. Because you want to make Urban Meyer's offense run, right? I get that. But at the same time, I'm taking a long, hard look at the safety spot, maybe the interior defensive line as well. They aren't the sexiest picks, and maybe fans don't get the most excited over those picks. But when we talk about later on in the draft in the first round, the picks that make a difference, sometimes it's the least sexiest picks that make the
0: difference. No doubt about it. I agree with you. And, and they're the safer picks and sometimes just the better picks. Uh, I, I agree with that totally. Uh, we'll talk more about the Gators Pro Day and, and what's going to happen with some of those guys. I do want to talk a little bit Marco Wilson. Uh, that story, it's a really good article written today. And two guys in the draft that have had incidents that now may play significant roles on NFL teams. That is coming up. There's some news out of the International Series. My buddy Richard Graves tweeting about London, the Jacksonville Jaguars, games over there. We'll give you the latest update on that. Coming up right after this. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We are live on the road. Come down to Durban, say hello. Free samples from Smoothie King. We're just outside the Smoothie King location in Durban here in St. John's County on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. They probably already have one. Cornholing. Austin Lane.
1: You're going to have a call from PR in a little bit here.
0: Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. He is a, just a phenomenal athlete, you know, and, and he's a guy that plays tight end and he's and he's, and he's at a solid tight end, you know, I mean, he's going to put his face in there, he's going to block, he's going to cover people up. He's not going to be an extra offensive lineman, don't mistake him for that, but you can move him around and he might be the best ex receiver I've ever coached, but he's the best tight end I've ever coached. I'll give you one crack, Austin, because I know it.
1: Sorry I wasn't listening, I was talking to Coos big stuff popping Can off here
0: in the, the studio no he's still here
1: oh he's trying to help me out with some stuff
0: oh well i was asking you i gave you one crack at the sound bite were you not listening
1: i just said i wasn't listening i was talking to coons
0: oh yeah oh. yeah that's yeah. not exactly what i heard but uh anyway that was dan baller uh, there's, I-
1: there's confusion because we're recording your stuff on the side i had your mic muted to him so he didn't hear you respond so that's why uh, you're not here. Oh. Okay. Gotcha, I gotcha.
0: Uh, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Better believe it, man. Um, that was interesting, though. I, Dan Mullen saying, you know, uh, best ex receiver he's coached, best tight end he's coached. And that's really the book on uh, Pitts. Uh, Pitts is, again, I, I just look at Pitts as a receiver. <laughs> and, sure. and in this day and age, I mean, I look at Travis Kelsey as a receiver. I look at uh, Greg Kittle as a receiver. And I know they do more. But maybe it's fantasy football, maybe it's the way they're most dangerous, the, may, the way you can create mismatches, and all of that stuff. I just look at him as a receiver. I mean, that's what he is. Add to the package. I am not picking Kyle Pitts sixth overall or trading up to get him if he dropped the number ten uh, because he can block a little bit and he has tight end labeled next to him. I'm taking him because the guy can catch and mismatches all over the place, and he runs 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> so uh, I think that's uh, the story on, on Kyle Pitts, and everybody knows it um what do you do you think it's more waller is that who he is i mean is that is that the best comparison or or will he even be a different type of guy than that
1: Ooh, that's a good question um i mean to me it reminds me a lot of vernon davis when he came out because like vernon davis was considered this freak athlete i believe he was out of maryland if my memory serves me right um, and Vernon Davis had a had a stellar career. Now was Vernon Davis, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski? Um, no, no, he was not. Um, I don't think Vernon Davis would even be a Hall of Famer. Now I've, maybe I'm completely off, but I feel like the numbers wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame. That's what I get from like the freakish standpoint. Now, that was however long ago that was in the modern NFL. Now, like teams know how to use the tight end and get the tight end open uh, and make sure that he gets his targets. So I guess how I see Pitts playing out, especially his first couple years, I can see him being like I get Darren Waller as uh, a great comparison. Um, I would almost say him or even possibly George Kittle from the standpoint of they go above and beyond to get George Kittle the ball. Whether it's, like, a tight end sweep, um, a screen lining up on the outside. Like, to me, what makes George Kittle so great is his versatility. And it obviously is Shanahan's ability to give him the ball. I feel like they're probably do the exact same thing to Kyle Pitts as well. I, I guess Travis Kelsey would be another great comparison because Andy Reid has some of these, you know, these gadget plays set up for, for Travis Kelsey specifically. So any one of those guys were. It's tailor-made. The offense runs through them. I think he's going to succeed in.
0: Yeah, I, I do, too. I, I think, it's you know, this is going to be on an offensive staff to make the most out of Kyle Pitts. And, and if you do pick him top ten, which it certainly appears now he's going to go in the top ten, I almost think to the point where somebody's afraid to pass on him. You know, does he – well, let me finish my thought. I just think it's up to the offensive coach to utilize him. How best. Forget about the comparisons. Uh, just take his skill set, how he fits in your offense, but make him dynamic, man. And that's on you if you can't do that. I mean, you, then you're not worth your salt, most likely, if you can't do that with the skill set Kyle Pitts has. Uh, is Kyle Pitts the guy that you're, you're hating to pass on in the first top ten uh, picks of the draft? And I'll take the quarterback guys out of here. But, like, Cincinnati, do they hate the idea of passing on Pitts even though they think they have to get... Sewell, like they're compelled to get Sewell to protect Joe Burrow, but they really would rather have Pitts. They think he's the better overall player, like a Hall of Fame player someday. Is Pitts that guy? Is it Jamar Chase? Is it Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner? Is it Pitts? You're asking me,
1: is Pitts the guy they're afraid to pass up on?
0: Yeah, anybody, like Cincy, uh, Miami, yeah.
1: Yeah, without a doubt, like hands down, Kyle Pitts is the guy, no questions asked. Because after Kyle Pitts... Well, then what is there? Okay, there's Pat Fryermuth. There's Brevin Jordan. But I think we can sit here today, 331 of 2021, and say, Kyle Pitts is going to be the best tight end out of this class. If I was going to put a mortgage payment on that, I I probably would. Right? When we talk about the wide receiver class, well, yeah, Jamar Chase just ran a 4-3, um, looks to be the real deal. But who's to say maybe Devontae Smith, maybe Jalen Waddell, uh, maybe even Kedarious Tony, maybe uh, Terrence Marshall Jr., maybe uh, the the, the dude out of um, Purdue, Rondell Moore, maybe Rashad Bateman is going to be the best wide receiver out of this class. Like, we have an idea, but we don't know. If we know one thing... It's that Kyle Pitts will be the best pass catcher from the tight end position out of this draft class.
0: But in that same context, Austin, don't we know Pene Sewell is by far the best left tackle in this draft?
1: I mean, I think you can make an argument from the guy from Northwestern as well. Okay. I mean, Uh, mean, listen, everyone's talking about Pene Sewell, and I believe it. I, I believe the hype. But I'm just saying no one's even come close to the comparisons or, like, where they fall more than Kyle Pitts. Like, Is there any other tight end going the first round?
0: No, you know, listen, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm just for debate. I, I would probably lean with you on this. And I just, I don't know. I I guess you could make the case. Which one's more unique? Penny Sewell, who might be this generational left tackle, or Kyle Pitts, who I'm not sure we can even find the right comparison to the guy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? don't get me wrong.
1: Here I am hyping up Kyle Pitts like I always do. But at the same time, if I'm the Bengals. I'm showing my offensive line. I'm taking care of my future in Joe Burrow. I understand what I just said about Kyle Pitts, but I I need Joe Burrow to play 16 games a season or 17 games now. I can't have him, you know, being suffering, uh, you know, catastrophe uh, knee injuries. I, I can't have that stuff. So that's why I addressed offensive tackle spot, even though maybe to some fan bases they're going to go at me and say, well, what are you doing, pass up Kyle Pitts? I'm helping out Joe Burrow. Because at the end of the day, regardless of how important Kyle Pitts is, no one's more important to that team than Joe Burrow.
0: Yeah, I think uh, – I, I do think Cincinnati – like if we we're doing sports radio in Cincinnati, it's got to be pretty – Pretty wild, because I do think the Kyle. Now, I wonder if they feel the Kyle Pitts stuff as much as we do here because we're so close to Gainesville. We watched him play for the last couple of years. I would assume they do. But the Kyle Pitts draft pick, if you're a Bengals fan, is way sexier than Ben A. Sewell. Of course. Uh, But I think what you just said, there's so much common sense in the Sewell pick. It would be great for uh, Cincinnati radio. And and I guess that's my question. It's like, okay, which one are you going to regret passing on? And maybe they're both such home runs that you you couldn't miss. Uh, and and maybe that's the case. Like maybe this is go back to the 2016 draft and it's like Joey Bosa, Jalen Ramsey, right? You mm-hmm. take either one and you're probably going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be that. But if you miss, oh boy, uh, Cincinnati. I think there's a lot of pressure on him to pick the right guy because then I think it's like easy for Miami. I think Miami will go with Pitts at number six and not even wrestle with the receivers there to change them. So I think it's a fascinating part of the draft, and it almost feels in that context the draft starts at number five. But that's not to say Atlanta doesn't run up there and take Kyle Pitts. I mean, he could go at number four. I think everybody's talking quarterback to Atlanta, but Kyle Pitts could end up Number four, Uh, it's really going to be a fascinating watch when it comes to uh, uh, the tight end (laughs) receiver from the Florida Gators. Mm -hmm. Hey, have you seen this? Uh, Richard Gray is my buddy from over there uh, across the pond, the Sky Sports, just tweeted this over the last couple of hours, and let me find it. Uh, The Football Association, the FA over there, has confirmed it is in talks with the Jacksville Jaguars over staging more NFL games at Wembley Stadium. Uh, Part of the quote is, Latest on the Jaguars, following this week's NFL owners' meetings, the F.A. tells Sky Sports News, We remain in ongoing positive discussions with the Jaguars about hosting future games at Wembley, so we are not in a position to comment further. The F.A. maintains good relationships with the NFL, and the Jacksonville Jaguars have enjoyed over a decade of hosting games at Wembley Stadium. Has it been a decade? I don't think it's quite been a decade, but close enough. Uh, Then the Jacksonville Jaguars issued a statement on the Wembley negotiations, This in the last half hour, and Richard is tweeting this uh, from Sky Sports. The Jaguars currently do not have agreements with the NFL or Wembley Stadium to play a home game per season in London. We know that. Our annual home games in London have strengthened our franchise, helped to forge relationships between Jacksonville and U.K. businesses, and established the Jaguars as the team to follow and support in London, the U.K., and throughout Europe. For those reasons and many more, we're hopeful that the Jaguars' tradition of playing one home game each season in London can continue well into the future. We continue to have discussions with the F.A. and staff at Wembley Stadium where our experiences have always been excellent. So that's the latest over there. I don't think, Austin, uh, and again, I kind of just read all that in a hurry, so sorry if you're listening, but you can find those tweets. Uh, Richard Graves is the one that's tweeting those quotes in the statement from the Jags. I think two things of note really interesting. Uh, and one is not a surprise at all. We, we said this yesterday. We had the conversation. I believe they're going to London once a year. I, I really do. I think that relationship's going to continue. They put too much groundwork. They have too much of a footprint to take it away from there. And by the way, they have more competition than ever, because every owner wants a piece of it. They see the dollars. Doesn't matter if you're struggling. Doesn't matter how big your fan base is. Doesn't matter how big your city, your market is. People want to go and explore and expand and create more revenue, and and that's what London does. I think the very interesting part of this is uh, right here. For those reasons and many more, we're hopeful that the Jaguars' tradition of playing one home game each season in London can continue well into the future. Well, there it is, right? They don't have much of a desire at this time just a little bit more than a year after saying we're going to play two home games. The Jaguars don't look like they have much of a desire to play more than one home game over there in London. I think that's big news. I think that's big for Jags fans. I think Jags fans know whether they want to admit it or put their arms around it or not, that the one game in London is going to exist, but they sure as hell don't want two. And I think that right there, that statement says, hey, we're going to probably work on the one game going forward, probably for the next decade. But we're not going with two.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously it's smart um, from their part. I think it's smart because then you, you get the fan base behind you. Um, I think it's smart because I think two home games in London uh, gives you a competitive disadvantage. So I think it's smart from, from all around. Um, and to me, it's great news. You know, I'm sorry that there's going to be one game over there in London because, you know, whether you want to make a couple extra bucks here or there, I get it. And if the game is shifting towards more of a global audience, um, you still want the Jaguars as much as possible to be at the forefront of that because they were kind of the pioneers, let's just say, of, of playing overseas. So, yeah, I, I think it's great news all
0: around. Yeah. Do you th- How do you think the fans feel about the one? Do you, are we so accustomed to it now that it has happened for almost a decade? I don't think it's been more than a decade. But that it's like, okay, I get it. You show us the chart. It's 15% revenue. Uh, there are some people that they'll, they'll say, really, is there really a lot of business interaction going on as much as everybody had hoped? I would say I think there is business interaction going on. I think it's been more subtle than people had hoped and maybe even officials had hoped. But I do think there's a certain relationship over there. I've been there just about every year. And, I I mean, the Jags fan base has grown over there. The dollars are just oozing off buildings in London. Uh, there's some sense to it. How do you think the the Jags fans feel now about the one game? Are, are we to the point where, like, okay, I get it?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think that the Jaguars fans really care what the bottom dollar looks like from, you know, from the team. You know, I mean, yeah, sure, at the end of the year, you can go on Forbes and see, like, where the Jaguars rank, and, you know, that's a fun competition to go back and forth with other franchises. But, like, Jaguars fans don't care about the bottom dollar. And I think in the beginning, a lot of fans were hesitant to to come on board with the whole London thing just because, you know, you're taking away a home game, you're taking away a chance to see the team. But now where they sit, obviously, it's like, well, every team seems to be doing this now. It's it's like the, the big thing. So um, from that perspective, I think you know a majority of the fan base has come around to it and is cool with
0: it. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I guess it's, it's it's not a good one worth arguing because you kind of know it's reality. you know. And, and now with the 17 games, I mean, I, I think there's room for it. And by the way, we're not going to be alone in Jack. So I think that's the moral of this story the last couple of days. Everybody wants a piece of the pie, folks. Whether you like it or not, everybody wants a piece of that pie going global. They want to expand. They want to get more money. This saturated United States market when it comes to the NFL, it's happening. But I think that's big news that basically that statement said one game, not two games. And that was pretty interesting to me. We're live at Smoothie King down in Durban. Stop on by. Get some free samples. Say hello. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. The Final Four is all set. Do you like it? Or is this a foregone conclusion at what happens? It's on the way on ESPN 6. Nine.
1: The better example is the UNLV team we just talked all right, Tark's team looked like they, could, they they were blowing teams out. They were averaging 97 points a game, Jay. 97 points a game in college basketball when they were making about one or two threes a game. Like It wasn't like the three-point shot was a big part of it back in the early 90s, and yet they were doing that. They were putting it on teams, and they found a way to loot.
0: Uh, I don't know who that was. Is that somebody filling in for... Uh Sean and Jay, or is that that wasn't Jay Williams? Is that
1: Golic Junior? No, that was Alan Hahn. Oh yeah, Alan Hahn. Mm.
0: <laughs> hey, mm. hey, look at the video feed right now. All right, um, it's okay. going to take a few minutes. Okay, so all right, let me, I know. Th- let me get on that YouTube real quick. Get on that YouTube, and uh, we're ha- here at Smoothie King. Lean One Vanilla with coffee is my go-to, by the way. Going to have that in just a few minutes. But uh, we're down here at Durbin's. Come say hello. And uh, also, you can get a free smoothie with our Dream 18 card. Go to ESPN690.com. Check that out. Also part of our Restaurant Revival Tour right here at Smoothie King. So good to have Smoothie King uh, on board. But are you seeing the video feed now? Uh,
1: Yeah, you're holding something.
0: Yeah, so this is like Gladiator, right? Complete okay. protein whey protein, uh, 45 grams of protein. What I'm wondering is, like, if I just, like, in the next two days ate this, like, whole thing. Sure. Could I then beat you in the cage? No. No,
1: that's not how it works. Um, Neal, I mean, (laughs) I'd love to see you eat the whole thing. That would be a great endorsement. Just, hey, I'm Brett Martineau, and I'm going to do something crazy and eat this whole thing. Um, the thing with protein, though, when you consume it, like per like your meal, uh, or per like couple hour blocks, your body can only ingest around fifty grams, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, if you if you eat, if you drink like a hundred gram protein shake, well, you're only going to use fifty grams of those proteins in your body. Oh, I got your you. Body. So you're wasting some of that. You're yeah, wasting yeah. some of it. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Look,
0: well, is here's the is this fact or fiction? Because you know this stuff way better than me. Yep. I weigh two hundred and like. Man, I do weigh like two hundred and five pounds. Like, flex. I, I feel no, I should be less. Like I want to be in the one nineties. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of push ups, so maybe it's all muscle. Flex. Uh and not if you look at my belly. Yeah, but still anyway, flex. Yep. so that is fact that I weigh like two hundred and five pounds. But people will tell you that you should eat in a day half your body weight in protein. So should I be having a hundred and like two grams of protein a day?
1: Ooh, um, 102 grams of protein per like day.
0: percent just a ratio. Yeah, right? yeah, that's yeah, that
1: yeah. That yeah, I'm just trying to put it all together, like, if, if that's realistic or not. Or if, I mean, I'm not sure if you should. I, I haven't really heard that you should eat half your body weight in protein. I'm sure that's probably true. Um, I try to get as much protein in per meal that's feasible as possible. But I would say that's a, that's a pretty good baseline. Yeah.
0: Yep. Okay. All right. Just checking. Yep. Um, I want to see <laughs> asking for a friend. Yeah, his name is his name is Ty. <laughs> oh no, for
1: sure, for sure. I remember when I was in high school, I used to do like those weight gainers from GNC. Yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't working.
0: I've never done like I they're like two thousand calories a pop too. Yeah, I never did any of that stuff. Uh, but I, but I have like like I'll eat the Smoothie King like for a meal replacement uh, at lunch um, and get that protein. You know, uh, I mean the protein. I'll really work on protein and vegetables if I want to. Really hit the diet hard. There we go. No, no sugar.
1: Well, see, and um, since you, br- you had me bring the the video up, I'm looking at the comments here, and Big Diesel's helping you out right now. He says it depends on your fitness goals and your training styles. I mean, don't ask me. Ask a guy with the with the handle Big Diesel, because he knows oh. what he's talking about. Today. I thought he
0: called me Diesel. No,
1: come on now, come on now. <laughs>
0: Let's keep it in perspective. Hey, hey uh, Gonzaga, Baylor, UCLA, and Houston. Wow. You like the Final Four?
1: Yeah, why not? (laughs) You know, uh, UCLA is definitely the wild card in that bunch. Um, But yeah, I I don't mind it. I think we got to give a little more respect to, I guess, the Pac-12 now. I mean, I I think we had to the entire tournament. I don't mind the Final Four because I think you got you got two favorites and then you got two underdogs um, in, in each game. So I'm I'm all for that.
0: Yeah, listen. I I, I think we're on a collision course for Baylor and and Gonzaga. We talked about this yesterday, so I I don't need to belabor it, but I just think there's separation here, and I really believe there's separation between Gonzaga and Baylor, but it's sports. I mean, anything can happen. Gonzaga's been really good before, and and they've I don't know about blowing it, but they just haven't been able to get to the promised land. I have a hard time thinking that UCLA is a Cinderella the way they're playing. Like, I've watched a lot of the UCLA games. Of all the games, I've really watched most of the UCLA games for some reason, the, the timing of it. And I think they've played excellent basketball most of the way, defensively especially. They were a little off offensively yesterday. But I I still don't think they can beat Gonzaga mm. and uh, they're not also a true Cinderella to me. It just doesn't feel like it as an 11 seed. I, I should, but they're UCLA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one, of, one of the winningest decades, like in the history of sports, <laughs> like, probably the winningest decade. So, I, I just don't see it that way. Although I really do like it. I love the fact Baylor what, hasn't been there since 1950. Houston uh, five slam a jamma 1984. Uh, UCLA. I mean, it's good to have UCLA pretty good but even as an 11 seed they are somewhat of a cinderella and then gonzaga is the ultimate 20 year cinderella story what makes march madness and they have a chance to go from cinderella to you know king of the jungle really you know i mean they they really have totally a chance to change the entire look and narrative even though they kind of feel like they already have in college basketball i really like the final four i just think we're headed toward gonzaga baylor and gonzaga winning it all
1: yeah, I mean, that's definitely the obvious approach. Even though Houston was a two-seed, I feel like they don't really get their just due. But it's interesting because this is the NCAA tournament, and crazier things have happened. So I like the fact that we're probably going to have two Bonafide favorites, like I haven't seen the the you know the Vegas odds yet. Gonzaga's got to be a huge favorite, and I assume Baylor's going to be a huge favorite as well. I wonder in one of those games, probably if you're going to pick one more likely, the, the, the Baylor-Houston game, where the underdog can make a surprise. Um, because to me, obviously, if UCLA makes the finals, well, that's a shocker. And to me also, if Houston makes the finals, even though they're the two seed, it's still Houston. That right. would be a shocker to me as well. So you have two games with two possibilities where that could happen. That's why I like this Final Four kind of stack up like it does. I think if it was going to be like Gonzaga versus Baylor, you know, in the Final Four to go to the championship game and then you have UCLA Houston, that loses some of its luster a little bit. But the fact that you have an underdog and a favorite in both games, I love it.
0: Yeah, that's a great call. That's a really good call. Uh, Hey, here's the other thing. And hopefully we'll get Matthew Driscoll maybe on later in the week. He's been joining us each week uh, to break down the bracket. And. Houston's interesting because not too many teams are built on offensive rebounds. Like, gotta be one of the few teams in in the history of the game that's their MO, their identity is offensive rebounds. Yeah. And, like, people know it and can't stop it. That's that's wacky to me.
1: That's what we call aggressiveness. Yeah. Get get those guys on the football field
0: want to uh all right we'll be back action sports jacks on espn 690 ninety. to check in from gainesville on the gators pro day a little bit of jacks talk as well as the draft ticks down we get to april tomorrow and then the countdown is really on we're live at smoothie king down at durban come on out say hello action sports jacks on espn 690